Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Colony Drop, a Gundam podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Isaac. This is your favorite Gundam podcast where we talk about everything from Gunpla to Gundam anime series, Gundam movies, Gundam, really everything. Everything Gundam, even the manga, clothes. You better believe it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We did talk about those Gundam jeans that one time. Oh, Gundam jeans. Yeah. We're going to have a fashion episode, cosplay episode. It's coming. But today <laughs> we're not talking about that, Brian, right? What are we talking about today? We are talking about one of the seminal moments in Gundam's history. We're going to review and discuss the movie, the big one, Char's Counterattack. Wow. I mean, it was inevitable, listeners, because we've kind of been going backwards, right? We were like, we read all the F9, <laughs> the Gundam formula novel, uh, manga, and then we watched F91, and now we're going back to Char's Counterattack. So, yeah. We watched it. Um, I watched mine today. Brian, I think you watched it a, a week or so back. Yeah, that's right. I watched it last week. I think I've seen Char's Counterattack probably five or six times now. One thing that I always liked about Char's Counterattack is that uh, because it was such a big movie, they always played it at anime expos at least once during that anime expo. <laughs> and so if I went, <laughs> I would always try to catch it because they played it in one of those big screening rooms. It's not really a movie theater, but it was the, sort of the biggest screen that I was ever going to see it on probably. So I always thought that was that was fun. But, you know, it, it is a movie from 1988, so it is a little bit older. So as time went on, the pl- the, the time that they showed Char's Counterattack at Anime Expo kept getting like weirder and weirder like when i first started going in the early 2000s they would show it you know at some sort of like prime time slot or maybe in the morning at a reasonable hour but then as time went on they started moving it to like 1 a.m and then 3 a.m or maybe like 7 a.m and i was like oh man that's really late or really early but (laughs) it's just tradition they have they have to do it out of out of just protocol (laughs) Yeah, but one thing I did notice, Isaac, I don't know if you knew about this. I did not know about this, and I'm kind of upset. They re-released it in theaters last year, uh, like a limited showing for like a f- like one or two days here in the United States. Was it like anywhere in California? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of the bigger AMC's would have had it, but yeah, I think it was in December, so it was it was definitely before the pandemic, and it was for the I think the 40th anniversary of Gunman. Yeah, those were the the final good months. Yeah, <sighs> I mean. I would have seen it, but at the same time, I wouldn't have paid an arm and a leg. You know, this the, my opinion of this movie is that it was important, but I f- feel like at the same time, it has some flaws. It could have been better, and I'm not sure it was an incredible ending to not only Zeon versus the Federation, but also the ongoing rivalry with Amuro and Char. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I think this is a this will be one of the first times where our opinions probably diverge pretty heavily. I actually really like Shard's Counterattack. Yeah. Um, so this this will be interesting. Yeah, I will. So <laughs> let <laughs> let's uh, let's start with some background facts, shall we? Do it. Dive into the the lore and the history. <laughs> uh, okay, so Mobile Suit Gundam Shard's Counterattack is a movie from 1988. It was released theatrically in Japan. This was meant to sort of cap off you know, everything Gundam up until that point. So you you really, at that point, only had you know, Mobile Suit Gundam, Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam, and Mobile Suit Double Zeta Gundam. So th- this was the culmination. This was the climax of Amuro versus Char, Federation versus Zeon. This is the, the granddaddy of them all. How can you watch it today? They did release it in parts of the world on YouTube, I think, 
within the last year or so for the anniversary on the Gundam Info channel. I don't know if it's still on there. You might want to check, but you can definitely get it on Blu-ray. I don't think it's on any streaming services at the moment, but definitely worth a check. But Blu-ray is probably your, your main your main source. Or you can go pick up the DVD that was released, what, back in 2004-ish, yeah, Isaac? With that cool sleeve. It comes with like this cool sleeve that has oh, Neo yeah. Zeon's logo. <laughs> Yeah, that was probably the best DVD release that they did back in the day. Well, actually, no, Zeta Gundam was better, but the, the the sleeve was pretty neat. So if we look at the log line, for this log line, I went and actually looked up what the Toonami promo said back in the day. You know, the ones that were uh, voiced by Peter Cullen, because I thought those were really good. Do you remember those, Isaac? Yeah, absolutely. They were, they were awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So according to Peter Cullen, a.k.a. Optimus Prime, the log line is... 14 years after the one-year war, Zeon forces yearn for redemption. Shar, the leader of this rabble, has hatched a plan. Under the guise of surrender, Zeon will make their final assault. Deeming Earthlings so vile a creature, Shar schemes to save the planet by destroying the people. Only the Lundo Bell, Amro Ray, and his Gundam stand in their way. That's that's fairly accurate for the movie. That's a really accurate... That, that gets me pumped for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then you watch it and it's like a quarter of it's about quest pariah <laughs> yeah like, Man, well, yeah we'll get yeah. The, we'll get the quest okay sure. <laughs> um so let's talk about other versions of this like how does this how does this exist um across all of gundam media so there is the movie which when someone says shards counterattack they're primarily talking about the movie but isaac did you know there are four other versions of shards counterattack no i mean do you mean like there were four edits and some are longer than others? No. So there is the original novel that the movie is based on, which is called Mobile Suit Gundam Shars Counterattack. Well, that was, it was originally called Mobile Suit Gundam Shars Counterattack. And that, and that novel came out in 1987 through 1989 in a magazine. They changed the title of that to Mobile Suit Gundam High Streamer in 2002 when it was re-released. So that's number one. Then there's another novel from 1988 called Mobile Suit Gundam Shars Counterattack, Beltachka's Children. And that novel is based on the movie idea that Tomino wrote when Sunrise said, go ahead and make Shars Counterattack into a movie. He rewrote the plot from what is now called High Streamer and made Amuro together with Beltachka, which was his love interest from Zeta Gundam, some people may remember. And Amuro was seen as more of a, quote, family man in that version. And Sunrise eventually rejected this idea. And they went back to making the movie based on the original novel. So there are two Char's Counterattack novels in addition to the movie, which I think is ridiculous. And the, the Beltachka's children novel is the one that has the, the different designs for the new Gundam and the, and the Sazabi. So instead of new, it's High New. And instead of Sazabi, it's the Nightingale. But notice... That High New is in Beltachka's Children, High New is not in High Streamer, which I think is very confusing. Yeah. Oh my God. This is alright. This is a case of having story ideas, and then you guess you had multiple tangents you wanted to go off to or things you wanted to change, so you just released each version of that rather than just the one story. Yep. Okay, and we're not done. There's still two more. Oh, no. There's a Shars Counterattack manga. <laughs> There's a Shars Counterattack manga adaptation from 1988, which is also written by Tomino. I'm pretty sure that is basically a straight retelling of of the film, 
but in manga format, which is pretty common. I mean, we always we get things like that over here in the United States. People make comic book versions of the film or, or novel versions of the film like after the film has come out, which is I don't really ever know who reads those, but that's there, I guess, if you want to go read it. Um, and then the final version is a manga adaptation of the Beltatica's children novel. And that started in 2014. And I think it's done. I think it went three or four years. I think they made this manga adaptation of that novel because that novel has a lot of fans because a lot of fans love the the high new and the nightingale designs. They're pretty awesome. <laughs> They're pretty great. Yeah. You know what? As my, as the view, uh, listeners probably know, I'm pretty pro Zeon, but I would rather have a high new than a nightingale. Ooh, that's a big big decision right there. Take that, Char. <laughs> <laughs> you traitor. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so with that background, you know, regardless, the one we're talking about today is the movie that everyone knows and loves uh, from 1988. So Isaac, why don't you take us into the story a little bit? Okay. This movie, whether you like this or not, the story dives into it, doesn't it, Brian? It starts off immediately oh, with a new Neo Zeon. I'm guessing this is our third version of Neo Zeon, if I'm accurate, if I'm counting correctly. <laughs> Anyways, this one's being led by Char, and it opens with them dropping an asteroid on Lhasa, Tibet. Hathaway narrowly escapes, goes to space. He meets Bright Noah, his dad, and they. <laughs> and oh god, what, how, how do I continue the story, Brian? All right. <laughs> <laughs> so much is happening at once. All right. At the, yes, at the same... Yes. I, yeah. I, <laughs> cool. I agree. This this movie marches forward at a breakneck pace. Yeah. And I would say that this movie is just as fast-paced as F91, but covers less story. And it, it worked better because you know you already know half the characters, uh, whereas F91 had none of that. Charles yeah. Counter-Attack... Is, is more contained and, and involves people you already know about. So you, it's m- more palatable. But that said, you need to pay attention to every line of dialogue in this film. Right. Because right off the bat, it turns out that there's going to like be like a peace negotiation. And then, of course, Zeon turns on them. And it, <laughs> and it was a bad <laughs> peace negotiation. I was like, of course. Of course the Federation would trust Zeon. And then, <laughs> and then it backfires. <laughs> but... Yeah. Yeah, yeah I... I don't know how to succinctly summarize the plot except saying Neo Zeon and Londo Bell fight it out in order to, and Char and Amuro fight it out also, ultimately leading to Char's plot to drop Axis on Earth and not even just Axis. He was going to like irradiate the Earth by putting whatever remaining nukes that the Federation gave him, gave him that were on like Luna 2, um, or not Luna mm-hmm. 2, uh, I think it was 5th Luna. No, he dropped 5th Luna. Luna 2. Yeah. And um, put those inside Axis, detonate them at like the last minute, which would make Earth just uh, an irradiated waste. And everybody, I guess, would have to move from Earth to space or everyone on Earth would be dead. I imagine they'd be dead. I don't see how <laughs> they can quickly leave fast enough. But um, yeah, that's that's the plot in a nutshell. But the details are really relationship-based. You know, Char and... And Amuro having their their final sort of duels and ideological banter back and forth, kind of. There's new characters like Quest and Gunigas. We see very little bit, a little bit of you know some returning characters. Really, just Bright Noah and Mirai for a little bit. As far as other new characters, we have sadly Quest Pariah. 
<laughs> um, Nanai, who was really cool, but we didn't really see enough of. She's like Shar's right hand woman. Maybe how many mobile suit main mobile suit battles do we have? Maybe three main mobile suit battles between. Yeah, fleets. there were three. I think yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> that's my rushed summary of the plot. <laughs> <laughs> what what happens at the end, Isaac? At the end, a miracle happens, Brian. <laughs> Okay, Char gets soundly defeated by Amuro, thank God, and Amuro just <laughs> holding like Char's you know little escape pod, says you know he pretty much says I'm going to show you up, and he goes to the falling axis and tries to move it himself. He's confident enough that he can move it himself. I don't know if the specs on a new Gundam say yeah that's reasonably possible with whatever output its reactor is giving i don't think that's possible anyways um <laughs> so he tries moving it some more uh, federation mobile suits come to help him out zeon mobile suits come and help him out how did this happen and then um this light appears from the psycho frame and by the power of new type will or the, the world's collective energy it's a little nebulous it's a little vague exactly what happens but Axis is pushed away from the Earth in defiance of the laws of gravity and orbital mechanics. And the, <laughs> and the Earth is saved. Neozeon's defeated. I assume they go on to become the slaves because they never really get hunted down to the last man or woman. And yeah, the Earth Federation concludes its war with this version of Neozeon. <laughs> Until they rise again, right? Yeah. And Amuro and Shara, we don't really, we see a bright light, but we don't know what happened to them specifically. Yeah, the movie never confirms it. The novel, I think, is more clear that they were killed in action. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, they never really come back. So yeah. you, you can assume that they, they perished together. So, yeah, like Isaac said, this movie is jam-packed. Um, it's a lot. From start to finish, it never it never slows down. And that's a good and a bad thing. I definitely would not hold it against people if they felt that it moved too too quickly or maybe didn't provide enough background information on certain things. Because um, that is probably a, um, a legitimate criticism. Yeah, that's one of the things I wrote down in my notes. Like, it just dives into it without much explanation about Neo, Neo, Neo Zeon. So, like, where did all these people come from? These ships and all that. And I think they kind of wave it away in, like, a short conversation. Like, Bright says something. Or, no, Amaro is talking to Bright. He says something like, oh, you know, we just inspected the colonies. How did Neo Zeon get all this stuff or whatever? And then one of them says well i think it's Amaral. what do you expect you know the federation tries to rule from earth and you know in the colonies they just lie to our faces <laughs> yep, or yep. They, they hide things or something like that i was like really you guys didn't notice an enemy fleet and like what what had to be like a massive manufacturing base <laughs> to build mobile suits and weapons and ammunition how could they hide this in plain sight in the colonies yeah i would say that's probably one of the bigger weaknesses of the film is it doesn't really tell you how Shar came back to power, right? He just kind of right. shows back up. There is a prequel manga that's still going now, I think. Wow. My understanding is that the, the manga called um, Mobile Suit Moon Gundam does cover the, the, the period after Double Zeta and before Shar's counterattack and talks a little bit more about this. But, you know, that said, that didn't exist in 1988, right? So if, if you were watching this in 1988, you went straight from Double Zeta um, over over to Shar's counterattack. So the the one interesting thing is that there is an appearance by Sela in uh, Double Zeta Good. that sort of foreshadows this. 
she shows up in I think one or two episodes and saves a character and she she does mention that she believes that her brother is still alive and that she thinks he is just waiting for the right moment to reemerge and that only his death will result in peace and that's pretty spot on right based on what happens in this film Yes, it's spot on based on what happens in this film, but not all subsequent films, Brian, because we know this isn't the end. There's still war even after Shar's counterattack. Absolutely, for sure. I was just talking about it, just in general. What what do we have? If you were a normal Gundam viewer, you know, what background do you have as to why Shar is back? Um, and it's it's kind of not no. much, right? They they no. do cover it a little bit in the film. Uh, Add an hour, Pariah Quest's father at the beginning of the movie. You know. Quest is busting his balls for the Federation not not stopping the uh, the the drop of Fifth Luna, and and he says, well, the Federation thought that Char Aznable was dead, and that's kind of the the overall theme is that they don't think he's really alive, and then he because I believe that that you know it's been a while, but I I believe that's how Zeta left off was that people weren't sure if if Char was dead or alive, and so he, here he is making his grand reappearance. Now yeah. to Isaac's point. He brought a, a, a fleet with him, <laughs> you know, a well a well armed fleet <laughs> didn't drop from the sky, right? Someone had to make it. So yeah, and all the officers and the ammunition and the cool new mobile suits and the mobile armor and all that. It just I don't know. I would have liked more backstory, and that's kind of one of the criticisms I have for this whole movie. Really, I feel like to wrap it up, it seems like such a bizarre thing to make this a movie rather than. You know, have Tomino say, I actually want to make this a final series. You know, they would have had so much more room and time to flesh out all the characters, all the complex relationships, rather than just cram so much into it. And every minute, I think, with Quest is a minute we could have had with Shar and Amaro that was stolen. Yeah, I think that's probably fair, too. I think it definitely would have worked better. It doesn't have to be like a 50-episode show, but I think if this was made today, this would have been great as like a in a format similar to unicorn you know like a five to seven episode ova that that would have been great i agree it was quite a wild ride what did you think about the different you know characters in in this film isaac let's start with amuro in my opinion amuro wrecked face in this film he was unstoppable he just mowed down the garadogas in in the in the rigazi and then once he got new gundam no one really stood in his way like he, he schooled yune he schooled quest he really even schooled Char at the end. I mean, they definitely yeah. dueled pretty intensely, but there wasn't a moment where I was like, oh, Amaro's getting his ass kicked and he's about to be beat. No, he just calmly dismantled everyone in his way, proving that I think he is the most well-rounded and most talented pilot in the Universal Century. Absolutely. Have we seen anyone else kick people's ass like Amaro does? I don't um, think so. I mean, Char, but no. Amaro beat Char. So. Yeah, no, he's the peak. Nothing's better than him. He pulled some baller moves in this film. Like, I think Yune may have been the only person besides Shar to land a hit on Amuro the whole time. And Amuro, he kind of just, like, turned to him, chucked his shield and his bazooka as a decoy, and which tricked Yune. And then when Yune looked up, the new Gundam was taking dead aim with both hands on the rifle and just just blew Yune away. That was, you know, Shar's best pilot besides himself. And there was another part in the film where... (laughs) <laughs> Amro killed a, an enemy suit with his bazooka while it was on his back, like docked to his his suit. Like so, his bazooka docks to his back, facing like the the barrel points downward. And so he shot someone below him by just triggering the bazooka while it was 
while it was on his backpack. <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious. And how how embarrassing if you're that Garadoga pilot. <laughs> yeah, pretty much what you said. I mean, this was such an Amaro movie. Like, I couldn't help myself from rooting for Amaro. Way more than Shar. Amaro came off with just so cool in this. So awesome. Such a nice guy. The, the ideals of humanity personified, you know. And Shar was just so... Yeah. delusional and bizarre and i don't know this is like i think this might be char's worst movie <laughs> right because he's kind of cool mm. in like you know mobile suit gundam and zeta but here he's like just i don't know <laughs> there's like <laughs> a lot of neo zeon people comment about like how he prefers like younger women <laughs> oh that was that was good yeah that was Gune. yeah i was like wow <laughs> it was a, a direct <laughs> criticism for sure this is Char's most extreme movie in terms of like viewpoint, yeah. right? They talk a lot in this movie about how Char's time on Earth, referring to his time in, in Zeta Gundam, you know, working with the AU, you know, on Earth against the Titans, about how that made him see that, or, or, or how that convinced him, whether it's true or not. After that, Char now believes that, you know, Earth, is, the people on Earth, or at least the government on Earth, is irredeemable. And in order for him to save the earth, he needs to get rid of, you know, get rid of the people. His method of doing that is is pretty extreme, right? Because not only would, would Axis wipe out the government on earth, it would wipe out all the innocent civilians. And that's the theme of this movie, right? You know, Amaro believes and has always believed that while the Earth Federation may not be perfect, people can always change and do better. And so Amaro believes in you know the human spirit, right? The the ability of, of humanity to to solve their own problems. Shar believes that 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 at least the people on Earth are not capable of that, and they that they need to start over essentially. And the, I think this is the the perfect conflict because to an extent Shar is right in that, or Shar was pr- <laughs> no to an, well to an extent that Shar was proven right say? <laughs> because he, oh. he well because right I mean we we know that there were more wars after this right. Yeah. So by keeping the Federation government in place, you know, it didn't work, right? I mean, they conspired with the Vist Foundation in Unicorn and tried to wipe out a colony. They presumably conspired with the Crossbone Vanguard later on, right? So the Federation didn't get better. But if you're if you're Amro, if you're the good guy, even if you would admit that Char is right in that respect, you can never cross that line of just complete mass uh you know mass genocide right <laughs> yeah and it's also so hypocritical ashore because he's he says all this stuff about people living on earth blah 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 you know even Gune says like weird no no sorry i think it's hathaway says some weird stuff that sort of agrees with Shar, right about you know oh people on earth only used half their brain or whatever mm, but yeah. that was question Shar recruits quests and she's from Earth. So <laughs> it, it, it completely destroys his argument. I know he's kind of blinded by whatever blinds him around young women or whatever. <laughs> God, how old is Quest? You know what? We're not even going to go there because we know what it means. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, Quest is from Earth and she's like an incredible new type, even without the enhancements that she got later on, which made her even better. So his argument about people on earth being maybe more warlike or you know just badder in general doesn't really fly because he recruits one of these so-called 
tainted earth people. So it's Shar's a hypocrite. He's so he really comes off as a weird guy in this movie. <laughs> and yeah, this is peak peak villain Shar, peak bad guy Shar. Yeah, I think if you were to watch Native Gundam, you could think, okay, what happens to Shar after this, right? Does he does he go left and become a good guy, or does he go right and become uh, even more of a of a bad guy? And he definitely went right, right in in this film. There was no redeeming his his actions here, right? He, he tried to commit murder on a mass scale. Yeah, and yeah, I think that discussion between Hathaway and Quest was kind of getting to the point of the movie, right? Where you know Quest is saying, well. Earth has no right to rule over the colonies from afar. And that that's the overall uh, conflict in Gundam from the very beginning, right? I mean, that's, you know, that's, yeah. that's Zeon in, in a nutshell. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having that opinion. I think a lot of people would probably agree with that. But then Hathaway says, well, does that give, that may be, but does that give Shar the right to, you know, to freeze the Earth? And, and I think most reasonable people, including Amuro Ray, would say no. And that... <laughs> That in that in a nutshell is is the conflict, and because neither side is willing to budge, it creates a war, and that's why we have this film. So what I was thinking this whole time watching this movie was, say what you will about all previous versions of Zeon and even Neo Zeon, but the the goal wasn't to outright destroy the planet Earth. It was really to conquer the whole Earth sphere. So Shar is kind of in his own boat to an extent as far as wanting to wipe out the planet itself. Yeah. That said, though. As somebody that really defends, not I wouldn't say defends the movie, but you had re- almost nothing but high marks for the movie. Can you put yourself kind of in the shoes of Tomino or maybe the design or story team and tell me why Quest had so much time in this story? Like, I, I can't understand why this character has taken up so much time and became almost like a the eyes of the audience in a way like you know she's so new to the the whole setting and you know the the intrigue and the factions and combat and they throw her into it why do they do quests why why (laughs) such an annoying bratty bizarre choice of a character i feel like can you think of anything do you have any thoughts on it (laughs) that's a good question i've always viewed quests and hathaway as like a pair I think Tomino likes to write about young characters. He always writes about young characters in all of his Gundam series, all of his Gundam work for the most part, right? I mean, when he writes about Amro, he's, I forget his exact age, but he's definitely younger than 18 in, in Mobile Suit Gundam. When he writes about Camille, he's young. When he writes about Judah, he's young. You know, and now Char and Amro are aged up a little bit in this. You know, they're both full-fledged adults. Um, I think Amro's in his late 20s, and Char might be 30 or, you know, in his early 30s in this. So I've, I've always viewed Hathaway and Quest as sort of the new eyes of the audience, as you said, um, if you were a younger person trying to watch this film. They're the people who are now living through this conflict for the first time that Amro and Char are veterans of at this point, right? I mean... Amro and Char's opinion at this point is not going to change, but Hathaway and Quest are still young enough to sort of make their own decisions, and it it shows that just you know Hathaway falls more on the Amro side, whereas Quest clearly latches on to the the Char opinion of these people are bad, let's just kill them. And Hathaway is, well, yeah, they might be bad, but that that seems pretty extreme. Why she was given so much screen time, 
I don't know. I agree. We probably could have seen a little less of her. That's also a little hindsight too, right? I mean, when you make the movie, you don't necessarily know that Quest is going to be poorly received. Maybe they thought that Quest would have been a favorite somehow. How? How (laughs) on God's green earth could such a bratty, spoiled, annoying character possibly get a lot of fan support? Comment below if you're a Quest fan. I mean, how how is this even possible? <laughs> that, that must not exist. There are no Quest fans. There's no Alpha Azeru plan, pl- uh, <laughs> fans. I, I've never met a Quest fan. I think everyone that I've showed this film to who maybe is not a Gundam fan, I think they've all thought Quest was annoying. So th- normally I would say, well, there's got to be some fans out there, but I, I personally don't know any <laughs> Quest fans. But yeah, nope. if you do, if you, if you do like Quest, yeah, Char. absolutely. <laughs> tell us why and tell us why you like Quest. How did this happen? Because <laughs> I think that can lead down a different, a few different roads, right? I mean, Quest can really ruin someone's enjoyment of this movie for whatever reason. It, it doesn't particularly bother me that much. I don't really enjoy her character, but I, I get the point of it. Did it work fully for me? No, but yeah, but I I see what they were going for. I'm more in this film for Amro versus Shar than anything else. So, the rest Absolutely. of the stuff, even if I don't like it as much, it's not going to bother me too too much. I did some research, and it, when this movie was released, it was first released in uh, Tokyo, and then they spread it out to like Hokkaido and you know Okinawa, the other the other parts of Japan and the other cities. Um, on opening night, they said upon her death, the audience stood and clapped. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's not true. <laughs> well, it was believable. You had me. Yeah, I got you there. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure the listeners were all nodding their head. They're like, yeah, I bet they did do that in Japan. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Let's talk a little bit about um, how... Because it's interesting, right? This this film, you have Amuro sort of defending the people on Earth, but at the same time, the Federation is being pretty shady and, and pretty dumb. Oh, my God. This was like, once again, the Federation was acting like the Federation. I put the Federation was acting beyond stupid because they were not only trusting Neo Zeon, right, but they were like giving them a weapon that they just used against them. They were giving them an asteroid after they had just had an asteroid dropped on earth. Look, this is insane. Like (laughs) I can't believe, Oh my God, the Federation, the majority ruling party of the Federation, whatever it is, must be like, it's just the most inept organization ever. There must be the, the small group that eventually always takes power in a crisis and like has to roll up their sleeves and actually slug it out with Xeon. Like they're the true heroes. Like people like Cameron Bloom, he was like an unsung hero of this movie, right? Because he... He was, yep. With, yeah, he without him, I think... Yeah, Shaw would have won. Because he, he gave Bright the critical information, right? That the exchange was happening. He did, yeah. That, I think that allowed yeah. Bright to tell Amuro what was happening, right? And Amuro was like, all right, well, yeah. I'm, t- I'm taking New Gundam back now. And, you know, we're going we're gonna to intercept him. Man. One man makes all the difference. Yeah. Did, did, what did you think about Earth basically selling access for the gold bars i mean how corrupt how, can you get not only that but how how <laughs> how rare is gold in the future because asteroids aren't exactly you know all over the place right i yeah. mean it must have been incredibly more expensive than just the gold and also what is the federation low on money like <laughs> why are they buying 
why are they taking gold in exchange for an asteroid? You can probably mine gold on certain asteroids or other <laughs> precious metals. Th- this was just uh, peak stu- Federation stupidity and, or just pure corruption. One or the other. Either way, it was bad for the Federation. And I don't know. Sometimes you get what you deserve. Adenauer Pariah got what he deserved. He yeah. got it from his own daughter, too. So <laughs> You remember that scene where he's like on the bridge at the, um, I think when Xeon's going to like turn over their fleet? And uh, he's talking to the captain. I think the captain asked him, you know, so are there going to be jobs for us after all this is over? And he tells the captain, um, well, they'll always need people to clean up the beach. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do remember that. I don't know. It, was, it had his back to him. And the captain was like inches from like attacking him. <laughs> he had to restrain himself. <laughs> yeah. At an hour, Pariah was just the most unlikable character. And yeah. you know what? Well, like, the year. He, he's, yeah. he's the reason Quest is the way she is. <laughs> like father, like daughter, for sure. Yeah, she, he was his his parenting s- skills and skills is in quotes were in full full display in the in the early part yeah. of the film. Was that also the same scene though, where Neo Zeon was turning was quote turning over their fleet, and someone remarked, "Oh, look, they even turned over one extra ship than they said they would." <laughs> yeah, it was. And then he like without even like looking too closely, all he said was like, "Yep." I guess the the, the show charge really trusting us, or he's being really <laughs> honest. You know, he even turned over the <laughs> the ship they had in reserve. Yeah. So I I really like that scene. This is a good example of something this film I thought does really well. So, again, this film moves really fast. It's really dense, and it's really dense because there's a lot of complicated strategies happening um, all the time. So like, they they talk a lot about, you know, we will turn over our our ships and Char makes sure to turn over the exact number of ships that he said he would turn over, but a lot of them are fakes and it's just very deceptive. You get another strategy like that later on in the film where uh, Bright and Lundo Bell are trying to, uh, you know, take out Axis and Bright knows that he needs to take out the, the thrusters or, or break Axis apart somehow. But he knows that Char is, is crafty, and you know the only way to really hit Axis hard is to nuke it. And so Bright starts launching different waves of, of missiles at Axis, and he hides one nuke in each wave, or like maybe a few nukes in each wave of missiles that he launches to confuse Char, hoping that one or two of the nukes gets through. You know, spoiler, Char is able to take out all the nukes and, and find them with his, with his uh, funnels. But I thought that was a really cool part of the show, particularly because Char kept complimenting Bright's tactics uh, during that because Char has been fighting against and with Bright for you know what 14 years now you know, in this timeline and I, I thought they know each other so well uh, that it, it was a good representation of, of how far the, the relationship has come between those two characters yeah that was pretty cool actually have I don't think Char said he knew Bright was in command of that ship did he well he maybe he could have known right <clears throat> yeah he knew Bright was yeah. uh, in in charge oh, of Lando okay. Bell he kept saying oh good you know like well, like, oh, like well played, bright, well played. <laughs> <laughs> like that time at the end, like when he's fighting Amro, and like Amro kind of, I think he like kind of tackles the Sazavi from the back, and Shar mm-hmm. just goes Amro. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Uh, speaking of Shar, why is he a captain in this movie? Like, why don't they call him Admiral? Or like I don't know, Supreme Commander Shar. I thought that was so weird. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. Maybe because he he still participates in the battles, right? Because Shar's yeah. never been one. Shar, I think, has stated as such many times in the different series that he does not like 
you know, giving the orders. He likes to be on the battlefield. And I think he even states that in, in, in this film uh, when he gives that speech, like right after this, uh, the recording goes off. He goes, oh, I hate, you know, he says something to the effect of, I hate me. I hate making speeches or I hate being a, a politician. You can't say he doesn't care about his men, right? Like in the very beginning of the film, uh, like you said, when it starts off with a bang, Yune is in, is in trouble a bit because he, uh, he's dueling Amuro and that's not going to end well for him. So Shar knows that, okay, well that means Yune is in trouble. So get me out there. And he goes out and, and, uh, and duels Amuro. You know, um, Yune is my second least favorite character in this movie because he was planning on backstabbing Shar. Remember he's talking to Quest, I think like I can take Shar or I'll be good enough to kill him or something like that. You remember that? <clears throat> I do. And why, why is it that everyone falls madly in love with Quest Pariah? Cause both Hathaway <laughs> and Gune were fallen head over heels for her and Shar arguably <laughs> had an interest as well. Not even that Brian. If you remember when Shar's bringing quests in, after like you know running off with her in the colony in that field of flowers mm-hmm. there's like a neil zeon soldier on like a balcony who says like i forget what he says something really inappropriate he's like hey she's just my type or something like that <laughs> and i was like oh my god like <laughs> i was like are you looking at the right person sir <laughs> can we court-martial this man immediately jesus what the hell's going on in neil zeon <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we we sh- maybe we should talk about this because like this is actually kind of important yeah. for the upcoming yeah. film uh, Hathaway's. Well, I guess it's just called Mobile Suit Gundam Hathaway, but w- what used to be called Hathaway's Flash. Um, so you know, Quest Pariah is is like we've talked about this sort of younger girl. I think she's probably fourteen, fifteen in in the film. I would imagine can't be much older than that, right? Actually, Brian, I'm not sure if this is accurate online, but I read thirteen. Thirteen. Okay, so yeah, somewhere early Yikes. teens. Yeah, thirteen. Yikes, Shar. <laughs> We meet her very early on in the film, and she has this big interest in new types, and she sort of has an interest in both Amuro and Char, but her philosophy starts to align with Char's very early on. After she perceives that she has been rebuffed by Amuro's love interest, uh, Chan, which was really funny. Oh, God. And Chan was just like, what are you talking about? Go away. <laughs> like, why, why are you here? <laughs> like, I work here. Who are you? But along the way, Quest acquires all these admirers. She acquires... Hathaway Noah, who's the son of Bright Noah, they meet on the plane, uh, on the, I guess I should say on the on the shuttle, right from Earth to uh, right to wherever they were going, the London Londonian, I guess. Shar then picks up Quest and takes interest in her. She's almost a replacement for Lala, and that's actually mentioned later on in the film, uh, which is a little disturbing. Uh, and then when she be- you know, goes under Shar's wing, Yune, Shar's sort of right hand man at this point, also falls in love with Quest. So I don't know. I don't know, Isaac. I don't. I don't get it. What, what, <laughs> this girl must have a magnetic personality or something. I'm gonna chalk it up to her new type powers or something, because like her hair is like turquoise, <laughs> and um, yeah, Amaro's the only man that apparently keeps a level head or something, because he's he pays her in almost no mind. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> right. why are you? It's dangerous to be on the mobile suit deck. Please go like, away. <laughs> he maybe met her once, and then like the rest of the time, she was just another Xeon pilot that he had to destroy <laughs> yeah i mean young characters are always very emotionally sensitive in tomino's works right i mean amro yeah definitely had his emotional moments camille i think no explanation needed there judah was pretty level-headed for the most part but yeah i mean hathaway he's at that tomino age where <laughs> i guess the hormones are raging uh in in tomino's stories and you just fall madly in love with these people that you've just met 
Yune, I mean, yeah. he, he was a cyber new type, so he's already unstable, I guess. And so maybe he's latching on early and Charge clearly using her as somewhat of a replacement for Lala, or at least he sees a potential there. I mean, I guess, what did you think about that? So you, you mentioned that Gune was going to backstab Char, right. and that's because Gune fell in love with Quest, but he, he said, you don't need Char, I'll, you know, I can be your, your, your man or whatever you want to say. Um, and he just sort of like comes out and says what everyone was thinking about Char, right? He says, Hey, you know, be careful with Char. I know you. I know you like him or whatever, but he has a, a an interest in young girls, and he's just <laughs> using Nanai as as like a cover for for his interest. He's actually in love with this girl from the the one year war named Lala, and he's using you as a as a replacement for Lala. And I was like, damn, that is a very direct accusation, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it even gets worse from there. Do you remember that scene where Quest like ran into the bridge and Char was there? And she said, are you just using me as a substitute for Lala? And like everyone in the bridge crew just turns around. Yeah, and they're like, oh, yeah, And oh. then Char like kind of sh- 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 scoots her out of the room. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, boy. and then but then Char like confronts Gune about it. And yeah. he, I think they were what, getting into their mobile suits, I think. Right. Or maybe like on an elevator or something, and he just whispers to Gune like, "You know, how dare you say this about me? Such and such." I, I guess. Where do you think that this Neo Zeon Char lies? Do you think he's really interested in quests, or do you think he's really in love with Nanai? No. <laughs> I mean, do do you think he's really using quests as a replacement for Lala, or do you just think that he sees talent? There? I'd say she she quests his substandard Lala substitute but at the same time I don't know Char is ultimately in love with Char you know he loves his own ideology mm-hmm. he loves hearing himself talk about how Earth needs to be wiped out and all that and Nanai's so competent I wouldn't be surprised if in whatever side story they release she ended up being the one that founded the sleeves pretty much and you know stuck around until Full Frontal showed up because she was that good, right? She was like always on top of things. She mm-hmm. didn't take any of Quest's nonsense. She she was the only one that slapped her. <laughs> yeah, she was the equivalent of Bright, right, on the on the Zeon side. Yeah, I'd, I'd say Char was, you know, he was juggling things at once. You know, he had Nanai, and then he had uh, his little, you know, useless kind of Quest. It was it was both at once. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Char at this point just views everyone as a tool, as as the means to his end. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think he definitely loved Lala at one point, but that that point has is gone. I personally don't buy that he was really in love with Quest. Again, I think he's just using her as a as a tool to get to his end. I don't think he necessarily loves Nanai though either. No. She's... I mean, I think at some point in the movie, what does he say? He says Nanai has been very nice and very useful to me, or something like that. But I mean, she's she's not being really fooled by it. I think because like, there's there's that scene where. She like throws her drink, right? She's like, uh, she just gets frustrated with him. Yeah. So yeah, she she, she knows that she's yeah. she's benefiting from this relationship as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I felt that she she knew that she was not naive to that fact. Yeah. God, the, uh, we're talking about this, and this makes me just get to another point in my notes. W- what is the point of this Gune Quest Char love triangle? It just soaked so much useless time. I don't feel like it advanced the story in any way. It had almost nothing to do with the plot involving actually attacking Earth. It didn't tie into really Amuro in any way. I just thought it was such a 
a bizarre tangent to go off on. I felt it, it felt like a bullet point someone wrote on, when they were brainstorming. Like, we need a love <laughs> triangle. Why? Well, we just need one. It's good for the story. And I was like, no, it's in retrospect, it shouldn't have been this. You know, it, I think it just ties back to that's one of the weaknesses of the film is there are a yeah. lot of new characters and they're just there's probably too many to give them too much backstory. And, and Gune, Quest, Nanai, Kara. Chan, they all sort of suffer from that. There's not enough screen time for everyone to go around. I mean, I think it was just a subplot they tried. I think it maybe it worked for some people. Obviously, it didn't work for you. I actually liked Yune. I thought he was a decent character. Definitely didn't have probably enough screen time, but I think he, I think he fared better on screen time than a lot of the other characters. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But I mean, in a whole series, a whole season, a full series. I feel like we could have seen a really cool arc of Gune as maybe like he's a cyber new type. He's trying to uh, prove himself. He falls in love and then maybe he like develops a sort of jealousy envy of Char and sees himself wanting to kill him one day. So that would have been a cool thing yeah. to see unfold over multiple episodes, but it'll never happen. But that said, <laughs> this show did have some, a lot of good things. You know, we got to see some cool mobile suit combat, cool mobile suit designs, I even liked how they explained away why Londo Bell was the only force fighting Charles Neo Zeon. I think Amuro and Bright are talking again, or maybe some officers are talking to Bright about how the rest of the Federation fleet isn't leaving their colonies because they're scared of like the moment they do, those colonies will go into rebellion. <laughs> yeah. So that yep. was a, that was a good reason of okay, I see why a small force is fighting Neo Zeon as opposed to the the full might of the combined Federation Navy. Yeah, it, it seems like at this point, everyone in the colonies hates the Earth Federation. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't blame them. There, there have been so many wars back to back. Like, how can anybody be doing well, you know, except for, like, the the Federation politicians? Yeah, it's just... That's rough. Yeah, pretty much. So one last thing about Quest and Hathaway before we maybe move on to some other characters. But So this, uh, we've mentioned this on the podcast once before, um, but sort of at the, I'll say, the, the first climax of the movie... Right, because uh, the, the main thing that you're here to watch is, is the climax of Amro versus Char. But there are, as we've said, a lot of these other characters involved. And so I'd say the, the pre-climax, uh, Isaac, is when, when all the Gune, quests, Chan, all that stuff is resolved. So if, if I set the stage a little bit, so the sort of second best pilot on Lundo Bell was Kara. Kara Sue, I think is her last name. And she pilots the Rigazi after Amro gets his new Gundam. Uh, Kara. Yeah, so Kara goes out, and she's in love with uh, Ostinage, uh, who is a character from Zeta Gundam, and I think Double Zeta Gundam, it's been a while. But Ostinage is a lovable mechanic on the ship. So Kara's out there in the Rigazi, and Yune kind of schools her pretty well, I would say. She didn't really stand too much of a chance. She, Although she was like an ace pilot, I don't know, she didn't really sh- show off that many skills, I thought. Did, did you feel like Kara was ace status as she was billed? If she was, she was outclassed by a cyber new type. Yeah, I feel like Yune kind of handled her pretty easily. Yeah. So Yune takes out uh, Kara. He he wants her to surrender, so she gets out. He grabs her. Yune then is using her as leverage against Amuro. Amuro's funnels are a little too sensitive, and they fire at Yune, and he, he breaks Kara's neck, essentially, and, and she kind of just goes floating into, into space, which is pretty sad, pretty brutal, actually. Yeah, I was a little confused about exactly what happened to her because they never show us her face. And when they take her body back to the to the um, the hangar bay, they tell him 
you know, don't, don't, don't look, don't get too close. So I thought maybe he squeezed her and like the inside of like her visor was just, you know, jelly. Yeah, it was, it was something. I, I took it that he shook her violently enough to do fatal damage in, in whether it was squeezing or, or neck breaking or both. That starts the first moment where I think Amuro was now, he was pissed at Gune. So then everyone finds themselves back on the battlefield a little bit later. Amuro is up against Quest and Gune. And I, I thought there was a good remark. Amuro remarked that Quest's presence felt more playful than evil or, or as a threat. And I was like, oh, that's him basically just saying you're, you're not really a threat to me at the moment. And so Amro's, you know, fighting Yune and Quest. And remember, he's pissed at Yune for, for killing Keira. And he ends up killing Yune, like I said earlier. And he schools Quest just as well. So after Amro takes Keira's body back, yeah. Chan, for whatever reason, gets into the Rigazi, which is now damaged. It has like one leg, one arm, can't really defend itself. She decides that Amro needs help, and he needs help in the form of a psycho frame. And she goes out there in this disabled suit trying to get this psycho frame to Amro. And on the way out, her Jigen causes an explosion that kills Astonash. No, well, what? I don't think she killed what him, What a dumb right? move. Did she uh, kill him? I thought so. I thought they'd take a I, hit, and then like it's implied he dies because there's an explosion uh-oh. near him. And then like that explosion also killed the pilot of um, the Jigen near Hathaway. That's why you see like a body kind of fly out of the Jigen. Mm. And then Hathaway. That's ex- that explains how Hathaway is able to get the Jigen. <sighs> I think they got hit by a missile at the same time. But it was like oh. she's literally just left the hangar bay, and then they take a hit, and you assume that um, Ostinage is dead. Yeah, poor Ostinage. He made her favorite pasta. <laughs> <laughs> what was the pasta? Like, comment below <laughs> what the pasta Ostinage made. <laughs> Do you think it was rigatoni, penne? Yeah. Uh, Farfalle, <laughs> or was it was it like ravioli? If it was ravioli, what did he stuff it with? You know, it could be anything. Like, yeah, that should be on the menu at the Gundam Cafe. Ostinage's pasta, or wouldn't it be a, a Kara's favorite pasta? <clears throat> yeah, like Ostinage's yeah. pasta for Kara or something. Or, oh yeah, yeah. K- oh, K- yeah. so sad. It's it's always in <laughs> it's always in a blood red sauce. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like her visor. They serve it. They serve it in a helmet upside down. <laughs> So sad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Chan goes out there, and now we're about to create what I like to call Tamino's version of. Well, actually, I guess this would have happened before any of Tarantino's films. Uh-oh. But what happens next is is essentially the classic Tarantino Mexican standoff, the end of any Tarantino film, right? Where everybody's pointing guns at each other, telling them, "Don't you do that to this person over here?" and then th- but that they all have like different allegiances and they all end up shooting each other at the same time. That's about what happens here. Chan goes out there, she's trying to re- reason with with Quest. Quest doesn't like that. They they're arguing. <laughs> Chan ends up accidentally firing a, a rocket at Quest, and it blows up the Alpha Azero, and then Hathaway gets upset that Chan just killed Quest, and so Hathaway just straight up murders Chan. That was terrible. That was awful, right? I mean, yeah, I he mean, literally just aimed his rifle and just mowed her down in, in a disabled suit. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. I mean, this what an ass, Hathaway. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see why Hathaway goes on in the future and becomes, you know, involved with conflict. Yeah, we've talked about this once before on the podcast, but in the novel version, Hathaway accidentally kills Quest, not Chan. So that that's kind of a, a big change. But anyway, we'll we'll see how the the new film deals with that. 
Yeah, and if Bright will be back, I hope he is and all that. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely yeah. going to be back. Good. <laughs> Bright is like the most level-headed person in the Universal Century. Yeah, God. He should be in everything. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he really handled Cameron Bloom like with so much respect and restraint. Like, Bright, he, I don't know. If he retires, he should like teach like Federation officers etiquette or something, you know. Because he's, yeah. he's so cool, calm, and collected. Such a, <laughs> such a polite guy. And then what did you think about the knockdown drag out fight at the end with uh Amaro and Char? I like that it was both in mobile suits and also within like the asteroid itself. So it was cool that they got to fight man to man. They kind of had similar but different weapons. Char uh, had like that rocket pack that's on his thigh. You remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah. That was cool. Amaro, I guess the Federation doesn't like that, so they use an actual rocket launcher you have to put on your shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> that whole scene also very nicely paralleled their fight in uh at about coup when they yeah. when they kind of did the same thing so I, i'm pretty sure that was on purpose which I, I really enjoyed that i thought that was good i like how amro decided to get a little crafty though and like he set up a, a booby trap for um <laughs> he set up a booby trap for Shar. it didn't quite work out but you know he tried <laughs> he, he, he tried being sneaky for once yeah with the radio yeah yeah that was good and i like that he was ultimately defeated Shar was ultimately defeated so I would have liked it more if the ending was Char actually dying, mm. but that's not what I got. Or them killing each other sort of simultaneously as the uh, the Earth is saved. But yeah, overall, uh, having an ambiguous ending like that, it's not something I think is the best, but I think it's good. I actually was okay with the ending because I, I think th- there's almost no perfect way to end such a rivalry like Amuro and Char. I guess I liked that they were arguing until the bitter end. Like, the Axis shock happens literally mid-argument between the two, which is just perfect for, for their, their relationship. And I think that was actually pretty shocking at the very end. Do you remember what, what Char said? Like His last words were, Amuro, Lala was like a mother to me. And I think Amuro says, what? And then that's when the psycho frame <laughs> overloads and, you know, Axis is pushed away. Yeah, I had no idea what that meant like i don't think amro did younger either. yeah she was younger than yeah the, the the shock of it was what triggered the salvation of earth <laughs> <laughs> it was the motherly spirit of lala which we knew nothing about that came out of nowhere but does that reframe how you view char and lala's relationship instead of a guy not not to say that he wasn't potentially preying on her but i guess he he felt he was getting something out of it that maybe we didn't know he was getting maybe but like we never saw any of that right he was sort of like her tutor and teacher i never got any kind of weird motherly maternal surrogate thing going on it it just i'm gonna chalk that up to like maybe the japanese to english team didn't do a completely successful translation mm-hmm. like that that's the script we have now but the actual meaning is maybe something different in um japanese like maybe it meant to be like you know family member substitute because you know he never really had a, his family was taken away from him so much throughout his life you know maybe that's what he meant yeah or, or something but yeah it's it for me that was not only very bizarre to say but it's very bizarre to end on you know that's the last thing Amro hears before death <laughs> yeah <laughs> not ideal so I, I put that on my list of things this movie should improve upon if it's decided to be done again or turned into a whole series or OVA, whatever. 
Well, look, I would love it if they animated that Bell Tochka's children manga with the high new and the, and the nightingale. With modern animation, oof, that could be a good time right there. I don't think it'll happen, but if they did get to it, I feel like it would be amazing to just have them flesh out the whole story more. You could have Quest come back, maybe just make some changes to her character and how her role in the story is. It's just there's so much room for improvement. There's a few mistakes. There's a lot of successes, but there's also room for improvement. That fight was just so good at the end between Amuro and Shard. I like that it was a clear victory for Amuro. No one really interfered. We got a clean one-on-one. They clashed sabers. Shard had that funny moment where he was he was upset that Amuro's saber was stronger than his. Shard did get in like one pretty good hit on Amuro. I think he like sliced his crotch open. But after that, Amuro he took Sazabi's arm off, and then he pulled out like the cabling in Shard's in, in the Sazabi's <laughs> neck, and then he just started punching him in the face, and he kicked him in the gut. Uh, I thought that was a brutal hand-to-hand combat fight for these really advanced new type suits. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, the Suzabi's a little bigger than the new Gundam. I don't think by a lot, mm-hmm. but it clearly was outclassed by the new Gundam. <laughs> new Gundam isn't just for show, I Yeah, think. I guess not. I mean, <laughs> they really they really went all out, and it's, dare I say, the most powerful Gundam in the Universal Century. Ooh. And we're going to cut it there for time. Next week, we'll conclude our review of Char's Counterattack by discussing the mysterious ending and all the mobile suits. Spoilers, Isaac really hates the Alpha Azeru. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a like and hit that subscribe button. We'd also love to hear from you, so please leave us a comment with your thoughts on the film. Tell us if you're a fan of Quest Pariah and what your pick is for Kara's favorite pasta. You can reach us on Twitter at Colony Dropcast, on YouTube, and on Instagram also at Colony Dropcast. Keep those Minoski reactors warm and stay safe out there, everybody.